0: Hello and welcome once again to Crazy Comics and Stories. It's me, your charming and delightful old Uncle Rat Bastard. And at the other end of the series of tubes and wires that we call the internets is Joe, Crazy Writer. How are you doing today, Joe?
1: I got a great idea how we can monetize this podcast and make Uh, oodles of money and get rich. First thing we got to do is we've got to go out and just make horrible comments about people and get all sorts of attention and then get canceled and we could hide it behind a paywall so people can can go to us behind a paywall and we can continue on our, our uh, idiotic rants. What do you think? Think it could work?
0: No. Oh. It's been done? You kind of have to have a uh, huge audience of dirtbags. Oh. And we do not. Our no, audience is Obviously awesome. Not.
1: That is very true. Plus, we, of fact, we've we've also sworn we would never, ever, put our audience where they have to go behind a paywall to get this podcasting goodness. Agreed. Although I was excited because what I did today, and I suppose well, I'll talk a little bit about it. I got together with my old buddy Turbo. I'm telling you, we've got to get him on the podcast to talk manga. I just got to get him there because he knows this stuff backwards and forwards and. He was getting me excited with some of the stuff. The only thing is I don't want to start like volume one of a 27-volume series, but he's very (laughs) persuasive that way. But we were delivering MicroCon flyers, MicroCon 3 flyers for the MCBF. And, of course, their show is coming up. Oh, what, what, what date is that? Let me find my magic calendar. Magic calendar. That ain't it. Padding it. Whoa, part up. Oh, better hide that. They're coming up April 8th. Now, this is the final MicroCon 3. This is the final con that Kelly is doing. Kelly, of course, works at the source. He kind of inherited the MCBA once Nick had passed away. However, from the ashes, I have heard that the actual MCBA is rising up and will have their first con on April 29th. So they are kind of the spiritual successor of the MCBF. So cons will continue. They'll revert back to their original name. And the unbroken streak since 1972 of a local crater-owned con will continue. Now, there's no flyers out. The reason I know that is because I spent the day with my buddy Turbo, and we hit almost every comic store in town. Name a comic store, Corey. I can almost guarantee I hit it. Hmm.
0: Uh, what, what is that? New one over by uh, um, Time Bomb.
1: Oh, Wizard Wax? Yeah, Wizard Wax. Yep. They were closed. However, Wizard Wax and Nostalgia Zone right next to it, I was able to slide flyers in the mail slot. And I had envelopes with me so they're not going to be spread all over. God so I good. just said, sorry, I missed you. I re- I did get to Heroic Games. I had a great discussion with Greg Ketter's wife about the history of Dreamhaven and and things. Because I went in and I, I talked to her and Greg wasn't there. And, you know, I was just saying, you know, I, I've been with buying from almost every one of Greg's shops we talked about when Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett were there, uh Jill Thompson, Dave Sim. It was it was just a lot of fun. And then my while I roamed the shop, Eric started talking to her about I I think it was like Lovecraftian type books and they both speak the same language. It was just a blast. And of course the bottom line is she was like, "Yeah, Greg's got to stop buying collections cuz <laughs> yeah, there's too many coming in. They're getting there people are dumping them at great deals." I did hear, I believe it was Dreamer's Vault. They've got like four stores. They're opening up another one in Roseville, which I thought was great because it's like now I've got a triangle of stores, you know, at the source, comic college and level up. So every Wednesday I'm like, I was telling me like for years, I was like, there was nobody on in St. Paul, you know, Midway Books, which I wasn't able to get to because they close at five o'clock. Now I, I'll have three stores I can get to, not to mention a level up that's on West 7th right before I get to the airport. and They open at 10 every day, so I can if I get my ass up early, I can go visit them. So it was a lot of fun, and I, I told everybody, I said, this is it. This is it for the MCBF, but the MCBA will be riding up, so I'll probably see you in another couple of weeks once they get their act together and they get their flyers going. Because, you know me, I'll any excuse to visit a comic store. The other plus was because Eric was with me, I told him, I said, the only way we're going to hit all these stores is if we don't spend more than 10 minutes there. <laughs> and believe me, you go to Issues Needed, you go to Mind's Eye, you go to Dreamhaven. Uh,
0: Did you go to the College of Comic Book Knowledge because of their big announcement?
1: I don't know their big announcement. Kelly covered them already. And obviously Kelly works at the source. So those were two shops I did not have to visit. But what was their big announcement?
0: Their big announcement. I'm pulling it up here. Comic. Excuse him while he whips this out. There we go. Nope, that's, that's not their public group.
1: I did hit the two hot comics. They're going ah, to wires down to Jordan. So I got them covered.
0: They have been hard at work adding new deal books to their inventory. Oh two thousand new dollar comics, one thousand two dollar comics, two hundred and fifty twenty five cent comics, and a hundred and fifty three dollar comics.
1: Corey, you know what I'm going to do? You know how magnanimous I am? Did I say that word right?
0: Never. You're you're gonna drop by and see.
1: No, I'm gonna let you have first crack at them. You know why? Why? Well, next week, I'm assuming we're going to do our preview show because I got previews, and I'm assuming you hopefully will. Yes,
0: I have T- got previews, except for the D.C. preview. Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: well, good, oh, I'll
0: freak on that later.
1: But the following week, I'm down south. We're going to Gulf Shores, which is close to Mobile, Alabama. So I'll be oh. on vacation. So you'll have first crack at everything.
0: But we always want Butch to get first crack at that.
1: Ah, nah, he wouldn't even go to Lisa's. Who cares?
0: Uh, by the way, speaking of... Uh, our lovely
1: listeners. That's you. How's that for a transition? We have an email. You can bite me. Not the guy who sent the email.
0: Nope, it's Travis again. Travis! Travis asks... Was it common for co- for sto- store owners and workers to recommend comics to customers like Corey often mentions doing? When, while I wasn't a weekly buyer for a lot of years, should I buy liquor or comics this week? Liquor. Liquor. Liquor will get you through times of no comics better than comics will get you through times of no liquor. I was almost... I, almost never was recommended a book except once after years and years of going into big brain and asking the owner when new Sam Keith or Bob Burden comics would be arriving. Michael got to recognize me a couple of years before they closed. He stops me, grabs a comic and puts it in my hand. I guess I better buy this one. He says, and it was a comic called Rudy, the magic cat. He gives a link to it. It's something I've never seen before. It's by Mark. Connery and looks really, really indie. And I will have to look into it. But Joe, did you ever recommend comics to people?
1: Well, we did it in a couple different ways. First of all, we would there were there were a few guys who would ask specifically like what's hot. Uh, I remember one of my favorite where a gentleman named Tim Walker was started buying the book time walker from valiant because butch said hey this is a book about you <laughs> i did have a couple guys who would you know i would recommend books and they're like yeah eh. i finally got felt like frustrated and said well buy this oh is it any good and I said, it sucks but you're passing by everything else there's a few guys like the tog who is always willing to try new stuff i mentioned him because tog like buys the books reads them and then gives them the butch so that's why Butch is always up to date on stuff. And he's a fantastic guy. I mean, just love to run into him when I see him at the source. But we we always had the two picks, my pick, Mike's pick, Fonz's pick. I always had Wonderboard up there. It was a huge grease pencil board. I remember buying that thing from Sam's Club, and it was so big that I could not get it in my pickup truck. So I've strapped it to the top of my pickup and I slowly drove home with my hand out the window holding it to make sure, you know, that wouldn't go forward or backwards. If I had to stop, I made sure I took side streets, got a little tough in some spots where I couldn't take side streets because I had to get over a freeway or something. And of course it was winter time. So my hand got pretty freaking cold. But the Wonderboard, I would fill up with things, mostly from previews, like this is coming, this isn't coming. Hey, if you buy this, this is crossing over, let me know. We had the newsletter, which eventually formed into an email, and that was the weekly list of comics as well. Before we did that, I actually had a separate phone line in where the original Hot Comics was, a little 500-square-foot shop I was using as a warehouse. It was just part of my rent until they decided they wanted to rent it out. And I had a top of the model AT&T 5500 answering machine. And why I chose that was because it had two tapes, one to be recorded and one for a message. But you could record unlimited message on it. So if you called in, you would get kind of like the hotline. I can't talk about it now, but you dial 91900. I one not remember that crap. But mine was just a, a solo number free. And I could put in here's all the books coming in this week. As usual, call me if you want me to hold anything. Eventually, like I said, that morphed into Wonderboard. It morphed into a weekly newsletter. I actually did physical newsletters for a while. I tried to do them monthly, but they were a lot of work. So yeah, we recommended things. A lot of times we put crossover books next to each other. Like, hey, if you're buying this, you should know about this. A lot of times even, well, the the most famous one was The Death of Superman because it crossed into JLA, it crossed over into Green Lantern. And we would just, I would order enough and pull them for people with the caveat, if you didn't want it, and I think you were the only one who didn't, Corey, who put it back, you could put it back on the shelf if you didn't want it. So we are always recommending things. Sometimes it was automatic. I mean, nowadays, they just finished what? Strange, just finished a 10-issue story arc, and now it's stopping and starting up with number one. Back then, it was less common, but like if a book stopped and I knew it was starting again, it would be like, hey, there's a new creative team coming. I will automatically pull it for you. If you don't want it, tell me ahead of time. It was Not like nowadays where a new creative team comes and they stop everything and then start over with a number one with 500 plus varying covers. We we didn't do that shtick. So very rarely did I get a chance to personally recommend things. Mostly because Wednesdays were so gosh darn busy or Friday or whatever the day was because the day kept shifting backwards to Wednesday now. So, it was kind of a yes, kind of a no. It was more of a passive, I hope you're reading this, because it was a pain in the butt to fill out that Wonder Board every month and every week. Because <laughs> I had two, remember. Wonder Board was the huge one that said, this is what's coming, let me know. And then, of course, we had another grease pencil board. This is what came out this week. And then I could also put, like, hey, this ties into this. You'll probably want to buy them both. I don't know how I would do like the variant cover madness nowadays. You know, there were certain people I know, like Jerome Winker, I would give the DC ones. And then Mike had first crack at him because he worked there. But even even now I'm looking right now, I picked up, because I'm, I'm curious about it, I picked up a Darkwing Duck 1 and 2. And I got the, number one is the black and white variant. Number two is a Virgin cover variant. But there were just tons of them, you know. It's like, which one do you buy? ironically both those titles that titles from uh dynamite so
0: now when i worked at Shinders
1: you were what, saying, Leave the people behind that that wooden door alone Stop <laughs> it burn. oh right.
0: god whoever got assigned to clean that section just hated it because you know, it was okay you need to straighten things up you know and you just go back there and you just didn't want to be around the people who were back there i remember after like two months they finally after you know the supervisor would just tell people to go and clean it but and people hated doing it so much every other section had somebody in charge of it and wherever i worked i was the comic guy and your job was to you know make sure that everything in the comic section was neat and clean and And if you're running out of stuff, order it from downtown. But the back room, they had to put up a schedule because nobody wanted to be in charge of it. So it's Monday, this person, Tuesday, this person. But at Schinders, when I worked, they had me at the Edina store because I also bounced around. It's okay. We're going to have you work a shift here and a shift there and two shifts here. They bounced me around the west side of the twin cities until finally it's okay. You're going to be at Edina all the time. Cool. And I would always work Friday because that's when comics came in. And I got to know who the regulars were. And there were things I would do. I wasn't allowed to say, you know, to put up a shelf flyer or anything. We'll get to that later, but somebody would come in And they'd be looking through the comics, and I'd go, hey, have you taken a look at Sandman? Have you seen this? Have you looked at that? Or with Batman, it was, you you know, as we were building up to the Batman movie, it's like, okay, I know that you really like Batman, but the story also continues over here. Or, you know, Suicide Squad has Batman villains in it, things like that. Then... When I was manager at Eden Prairie, they finally said, okay, we're going to have Schinders recommends and we will give you a list of what Schinders recommends. And it was always the top selling books. And I would tell them, we don't need to recommend the X-Men. People buy the X-Men. We recommend stuff that isn't selling well. They never grasped that. They said, oh no, if we if we order a lot of X-Men, We want to recommend that because we want to make sure we're not stuck with any. This is 1989, 90, and 91 X-Men. Jim Lee's drawing it. We're selling, you know, 250 copies a month. We don't need to recommend the (laughs) (laughs) X-Men. So like when X-Force number one came out. Well, that's our Schinders recommends for this week. Oh, way to go out on a limb there. (laughs) you guys are too controversial for this place i was able to my last like year there they said that i could choose one book and for the first few months they had to approve it and eventually they were like yeah just recommend you know just put a record and now you know the companies even back then i don't know i remember a few like crossovers that were part of the main thing so like for fall of the mutants you'd get a thing to put behind the comics they call it shelf talker and you put it behind for all the crossovers it's like okay this month fall of the mutants is in x-men x-fat uh x-force new mutants and this book and then D.C. would have it for their crossovers. God, I remember the millennium. Oh, It crossed over into everything. Mm-hmm. Now, the shelves that you had, those shelf talkers didn't work real well. But you had things that you would hang on there. Yeah.
1: Good old you know, Brian part- Wilson, a uh, customer who, of some considerable artistic talent. He did a lot of the flyers for the MCBA until... Everything kind of went computerized, but he made some specific ones. New this week, new last week, crossover, restock, reprint, and I would be able to tag them accordingly. Because unlike other comic stores, I liked having my comics alphabetized A to Z, regardless of which sections were new and which sections were not. I know Christy and Little Mike always wanted to make it, you know, no, this is going to be the new comic section. And a lot of comic shops do that now, but I always liked having them, you know, make you browse everything. Because right. in my in my opinion, a lot of times people would browse through and discover, oh, I missed this or this looks good. But that's a thought process that's really gone away because nobody nobody in town does that. Not even the source. Source has new this week, new last week, and then everything A to Z. And the
0: the the problem the source has, if you're thinking like a retailer, they're all up front. Joe, why is that a bad idea?
1: You should put them in the back of the store so people go through the whole store.
0: That's why when you go to the grocery store, the milk is at the back of the store.
1: That's why toys are at the back of Target. Because. <laughs>
0: Because they want to get you to walk through the store and maybe you'll buy something else.
1: Electronics as well.
0: Yep. And if I were to shop at the source, let's say I'm a Wednesday warrior again, you know, go to the shop every week. If I go to the source, all I have to do is walk up. I don't know where you get your your pull box, but then go over. I only have to look at the first two sections and I'm done. Whereas, you put them in the back of the store, you have to walk by the graphic novels, you have to walk by the toys, you have to walk by the the statues, you have to walk by the previous month's books, you have to walk by everything. And that's, you know, it's one of those retail 101s. And it's weird, I will go to some shops where they, the college, college comic book knowledge, I don't remember if it's, in their new store or not I don't think it is But in the old store It's nope New books, They're way back in the corner You gotta walk by everything To go get them Yeah It's yeah, that way now In their new one too So the And that's why they do that Now As for your recommendations You would have Joe's pick Mike's pick And Fonzie's pick Fonzie's pick was always You know With a hot girl on the cover Because hey It's the Fonz hey. Yeah
1: and the thing was there weren't as many as are as there are now. You know, now you could just pick a Red Zonia Dynamite Vampirella or Hell Chick or whatever. You know, a lot of times it was Wonder Woman. But you know, hey, Fonz knows his chicks.
0: Hey. And unlike Shinders, you didn't pick, okay, this is the book I got the most of. Better make that my pick. You and and Mike both picked books you liked.
1: Yep. And when I had other employees like Casey and Joe and Little Mike, I gave them their pick. I said, yep, pick what you want. I said, the only thing I caution is I don't want it to be the only copy. Like uh, there were a lot of books I would buy was one for the shelf. And if that was the case, I said, I don't mind you picking it, but if it sells out, I want you to pick something else. Even on Thursdays when I was going to read everything, I was very cognizant of the fact that, if I had something in my pile to read and it was the only one for sale, it had to, I had to be ready to sell it or put it back on the shelf. That's funny because I was actually talking with Mike from Hot Comp today, and he we were talking about yeah, it's a little different when you have to sell a book. And I go yeah, I said I, <laughs> I was like these are commodities. I you know I still collected my stuff that I wanted, but if I could sell it. Which is why decades later, I go through and I'm like, oh, I'm missing an issue. I hope it didn't go up in price. (laughs) People are like, oh, you've been collecting since 77. You must have a lot of stuff. Yeah, you'd think so. but.
0: (laughs) And I don't know if every comic shop owner is like that or not. I know that Nick, he had his collection. And I can't think of times when Nick would go, oh, this book's got up in price. I better bring my copy from home and sell it. Now, what he would do is he would donate shit to the convention all the time.
1: Yeah, they had
0: like the infamous stack of
1: Shamwows. Well, well, the other thing, too, is when they used to make grab bags, by the way, the grab bags are coming back at the MCBA. So be the first hundred fifty there. You've been warned they'd put together the grab bags in the sources warehouse and Nick would basically be going through the stacks of unsold books and throwing stuff out with the caveat. Okay. If you see an adult title, pull it. Cause we don't want that mixed in. I think the only one time I ever pulled it is I ran across the first power girl. And Nick was like, Ackie. but I said, Nick, this is like a $70 book. Cause if you want to give it away, that's fine. But, You really should bring this to the source and sell it. He thought about it and put it aside. And I I think he pretty, I think he did. I mean, he's he's being generous. I don't want to, you know, take advantage of that. Now,
0: another thing that we would do if it were a slow day. And somebody came in and they were just looking for stuff. And I know you did this when I was there so you if you did it when i was there you did it all the time if it was a slow day and somebody's just kind of browsing either you or i would ask is there anything you're looking for and if they said and this was the 90s so comics weren't as permeating the the pop culture as they are now in my opinion i'm looking for a comic but i just don't know you know what i want We'd ask what kind of movies they like, kind of TV shows they like, to kind of find out where they were interested. Or if they knew something about comics and they said, Well, I like this artist and this artist. We would recommend a comic based on the art or the artist. Or even, Well, you know, if you like Artist A, here's their early stuff, either back issues or you had. At the time you closed, you had the biggest selection of trade paperbacks in the Twin Cities, which I don't think gets talked about enough on this show. You were way ahead of the curve on that. The source ramped up after you went, went away. But before, you were one of the few places in the Twin Cities where you could go and, oh, here's every volume of Transmetropolitan. Because we had one person come in, and after talking to him a bit, have you read Metropolitan? or somebody was a Kevin Smith fan?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Did you know Kevin Smith wrote the uh, wrote the foreword for the first Preacher trade paperback? You should go back and take a look at that. I'll warn you, it's not for kids. <laughs> and then there was the, and you remember the guy's name. I don't. He just bought Spider-Man. And no matter what we recommended, he would, yeah, I don't think so. Even if we said, we'll give it to you free. And if you don't like it, bring it back. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> but he didn't like Spider-Man. <laughs> and I always thought, you know, he's going to quit buying comics because he buys Spider-Man and, you know, a few other Marvel stuff. But he doesn't like them. So eventually he's going to quit. Nope, he was with you from Hot Comics all the way through Crazy till Crazy Closed. I don't remember his name though. Blonde, Uh-oh. blonde mustache, and just—it
1: oh, wasn't, just, wasn't a guy who just buys all Marvel.
0: He didn't buy all Marvel, but he bought a okay. lot of Marvel.
1: Because I know, I know there was one guy Jim, who he dropped out. He he dropped off a bunch of jigsaw puzzles, and when I asked him, "What do you want me to do with them?" It's like, eh, my family puts them together. We never go back. So I like, said, "Can I just donate them to the charity?" He goes, "Yeah, go ahead." I said, "You need a tax write-off?" Nah. But yeah, he was big on just Marvel. Didn't care about Ultraverse. He did buy the crossover Marvel DC, if that's who you're thinking about. But I he think also it is. he he also bought as a kid, and he always bought two X Men because he had a buddy who collected just X Men. Oh wow, Jim! Uh, Jim was a great guy. I I know he used to play poker with uh, Kruber for a while. Uh, yeah. I Again, you know, all these people have just disappeared. Cause I, you know, I think about him occasionally, you know, and Jim was a guy who never went to comic shows, didn't care about sales, but he was a very I I, I was an awesome customer. Jim, if you're out there, thank you. Wave high.
0: <laughs> but I every so often he'd, you know, complain about what he was reading. And I go, Well, you know, you really liked Spider-Man when this person was writing it. You know, he's writing this over at DC. Nah, uh, nah, nah. Yeah. And, and you would learn who you could recommend stuff to or not. The other thing that you did, and I'm amazed you didn't think of it, Joe. When a guy would come in with his girlfriend, and the girlfriend oh. looked bored. That was Joe's opportunity to sell them Sandman.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I ordered, I think what happened was I ordered a lot of issue 50 and there was also probably a clearance of them. So I was able to get a ton more. Yeah. I'd say if you like it, point to the boyfriend, make him buy more. Yeah.
0: <laughs> when I was, I was a regular, the, when I was a regular the, uh, at certain shops, they would recommend stuff. And it's also how you recommend it. I have talked before about how back in Macomb, Illinois, I would go, there was one comic shop there, and I was friends with the owner. We would go to movies together Friday nights, myself and a couple other people. We'd kind of hang out till he closed. Then we'd go across the street to Aurelio's for pizza because they had Chicago style pizza. This was back in the 80s. So it was okay, you know, we'll all throw in, but we'd give him the receipt so that he could take it on his taxes as a business dinner so we would always and the joke would be we'd sit down well how's business business is great cool <laughs> now you can take it off your taxes
1: yeah yeah we talk business that's <laughs> all you need to do
0: but i eventually went shopping there because his his employee kept making fun of what i bought oh yeah yeah and nope, nope and I specifically remember I liked the new mutants because I liked Chris Claremont and this was Bill Sienkiewicz was drawing it. And then after he left, it was, Oh, I don't remember who it was, but I still liked the book and he would, Oh, I can't believe you buy this shit instead of Cerebus. And I didn't read Cerebus for years because of that. (laughs) So when I worked for you at your shop, we wouldn't make fun of books. But, however, before I was working for you, oh, my God, we Butch and I would mock comics like you can't believe.
1: You know, and I did that, too. When, when I sold the shop, I kept doing the newsletter for Christy. And that's when I started to get more hypercritical. You know, oh, they're still publishing this crap. Oh, read this if you want something that's not very good. <laughs> and then when I bought, when I opened Crazy Comics, I suddenly stopped being such a snarky guy. The the best yeah. guy who did it was our old pal Dave Watkins, because he would do a top ten, or he'd go through the he just everything the top one hundred and just dish out opinions and stuff like how did this crap get published and this crap got canceled, <laughs> and sometimes it was personal because he had a a, a you know. Feuding time with some of the editors and I, and I, I always told him, th- I said, this is brilliant. I said, I can't do it because again, like I said earlier, when it becomes a commodity and if you're going to buy it for me, I don't want to tease you about it. You brought up, you did say one thing about Cerebus, which just ring a bell. Uh, one of the, the most crazy gi- gimmicks I ever did was when I, tied a Cerebus Zero in with, was it Spawn? What was the Cerebus that uh, Dave Sim wrote? Number 10? Alan Moore did it. Yeah, eight. yeah he, he did number 10. Okay, so if you bought a Spawn number 10, I would give you a free Cerebus Zero. And the idea would be is to kind of get people who were reading Spawn Who might not be aware of who's this. What is this thing talking to Al Simmons all of a sudden? And I gave I had a coupon. I actually think I posted it on my Facebook page under Hot Comics. So you can go look at that. Picture album if you want, because I don't I don't have anything hidden on Facebook. And I, I think I ended up giving away. Like 100 copies of Spawn Zero. Which was fine because, you know, I got the gold issues for it. And I don't know if anybody who bought Cerebus bought Spawn. But I do know Cerebus went up from four a month. To guess how many, Corey? Five. Close. Actually, seven. I think,
0: yeah, I was going to say, I thought it doubled. It went to eight.
1: Yeah, no, it went to seven. Eight was because I always ordered one for the shelf. It never sold off the shelf except when i would like go to a con and and blow them out cheap but i was always of the thing that okay i can afford to put that on one because the seven guys who did support it have paid for that one so even if i sell it later for 50 cents or a quarter it's paid for and of course this was back in the image boom so image made gold for everybody it wasn't if mcfarland wasn't wrong you know it's like guys you buy and take your spawn money and that allows you to buy all these independents, not realizing that I'm supporting you. I was like, well, you're not wrong. Although, you know, the guide for my shop was the X-Men. Of course, yeah. Superman was still high fl- flying high with 300 subscribers. Like, Batman's back broken. And then we had death. You're going to make me say it, aren't you?
0: Death death me! Me! <laughs> He's got a puke! He's got a
1: puke! Uh, yeah, I don't care what you said. It sold well.
0: <sighs> well, till the last issue.
1: Yeah. Well, and that got returned, so. Yep. And I kept 10 because I know people would be like, where is it? So, <laughs> I do remember showing it to Dave Sim. I said, this was kind of a tie-in. I said, my goal was to try to get more people who spawned to try it. I said it. Sort of helped. I mean, I kind of doubled my spawn subscribers. subscribers. He didn't ask the numbers. <laughs>
0: no, doubled your Cerebus subscribers.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, no. I said, I don't know how many the spawn did. He thought it was a good idea.
0: And we, you also had the phone books, and they sold. I'm not going to say they sold crazy, but they sold at a reasonable rate. Yeah, for trade paperbacks, uh, you started doing this thing this was before they had cheap uh, point of sale stuff where you'd have a card and you put it in. And when somebody would bring up the graphic novel or trade paperback or whatever, you'd take the card so that you knew, Hey, this sold, I need to reorder it.
1: I always had the diamond code on it too. Then it was easy because it was mostly just diamond. Not like now where you got three or four different distributors. And
0: I still remember when someone would come in, they would probably buy, especially the Vertigo stuff. Oh, my God. The fact that this Vertigo stuff isn't in print and they don't have, and DC hasn't figured out how to do it anymore. People would come in and they would pick up like the first volume of Preacher or the first volume of Transmetropolitan or the first volume of Lucifer or whatever. And then within the next two months, they'd come and buy the next one and the next one and buy them all. As Sandman, that happened all the time. Preacher, it happened all the time. I would think the Preacher probably outsold Sandman in your shop.
1: That could be. Yeah.
0: Because that Kevin Smith intro in the first trade paperback back in the 90s, that was like gold. People would say, Oh, the clerk's guy. And that's one of the reasons you have somebody who's a name. Write your introduction or give you a cover blurb. The Stephen King has talked about in the past, he got so many books. They don't do it as much anymore, but he used to get tons and tons and tons of books that people would send, just asking, you know, him to write a sentence about their book. Because, you know, you would pick up a book and either on the front or back cover it would have Stephen King saying, I really like this. People would say, Well, if Stephen King liked it, it must be good. Mm-hmm. Or even in Stephen King's early days, his short story collection, Night Shift, had an introduction by Do- John D. McDonald. Why? John D. McDonald sold books. So if you didn't know who Stephen King was and you'd see, Oh, an introduction by John D. McDonald. I like John D. McDonald. If he wrote the introduction, the book must be okay. And that was sort of the cross marketing comics now doesn't do that at all anymore, which blows my mind because books still do that. You know, go to a bookstore and you'll see if it's an author you haven't heard of odds are, if you look at the front or look at the back, a more famous author will be saying something like, I like this book. And Comics don't do that. Just think how cool it would be if, you know, DC put out books that go to, you know, they go to Barnes and Noble, they go to bookstores, and it had, you know, Jim Lee or Stephen King or Neil Gaiman. Hey, I like this. Those are names now. People know who they are. I think Jim Lee, not as much, but, you know, Neil Gaiman has cachet outside comics, and it's just, again, it's marketing 101. And in a comic shop, I think most shop owners want to, they kind of want to get to know you before they recommend stuff, because there's just something about a shop where all the shops we go to, they don't know me as much anymore because I've been retired for like six, seven years now, and I look much older. And you know what the what Indiana Jones said? It's not the years, it's the miles. And I'm looking through stuff, and it's rare that somebody will say, "Hey, have you have you uh, heard of this? Have you seen this? Etc. Cetera, Etc." Cetera, unless I ask. Butch, on the other hand, hey Butch, we got this. Mm-hmm. Because they know him. They know what he likes. I think there's also, I know at the source, I don't see them walking the aisles as much as they used to. At Schinders, if you were on register, you were told you need to be out on the floor, make yourself known. And, you know, in the magazines and the porn, leave people alone. But baseball cards, books, comics... You know, jump in, ask if you can help, recommend stuff, because they wanted you to do that retail sales. But I think a lot of shops, the store owners or the people who are working in the store kind of get that I'm behind the counter, I need to stay behind the counter feel. Now, the people who worked for you, were they behind the, just naturally? Were they behind the counter people or were they out and wandering about?
1: My guess is they were probably behind the counter because I usually only had one or two in the shop at a time. You know, I'd never I didn't plan on that. My plan was always have two or three. But as it went forward, it became apparent I really didn't need more than one, except on the comic book day when it was most of the time it was Mike and I the entire day. Then I could give, you know, Low Mike would do Sunday. I would, I think towards the end when I had more people, I would actually have two in the store so I could go get gas. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was more behind the counter things, you know, and I, I kind of told him that I said, you know, the big thing is you're here mostly to kind of babysit the shop, you know, which is why I also gave him. I said, no, you can, uh, You can take, you know, five, 10 bucks, buy yourself something to get delivered. Just save me the receipt and I just deducted it as part of the expenses.
0: Now, when I would look over the shop, especially the big shop, I hated being behind the counter. I always felt like, I'm trapped. (laughs) So, unless I was ringing somebody up, I would be out and about. Now, in the little bitty shop, the crazy comic shop, there was no room
1: to be out and about. (laughs) Yeah. And again, you can see pictures of both on my Facebook, so you get an idea. Did you used to hang when I had the 1,000-foot store before I moved to the 3,000? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you were there for, for, well, all three incarnations of my shops.
0: Yeah, I didn't work for you then. I didn't work for you until you moved to the bigger shop because – that's also when my job changed, and I could have Tuesdays off. You know, I'd work till noon and then I could come over to the shop, which I think I've told that story recently, how I was able to sneak that in when I left my my office job and got another office job. I told them, "Hey, uh, the group home I work at they have their staff meeting." Every Tuesday at one in the afternoon. So, if possible, could I come in early and leave late every other day so that I could leave at noon on Tuesday? Yeah, we could do that. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> the group home that had the meetings had them on Wednesday mornings, and they were at eight in the morning. So <laughs>
1: the evil strewn.
0: So. Basically, I've told everybody that I lied to my employers for seven years. (laughs) Liar! I lied to my employers so I could hang out in a comic shop and watch wrestling. No regrets. Nope. Oh, so there you go, Travis. That that has actually taken us (laughs) to the portion of the show where we do ads. Thank you. Our newest sponsor is NordVPN. Let's be honest. If you're out on the Internet, you need a VPN to protect you. There's all sorts of things going on on the Internet where people can track you. You could accidentally download a keylogger, all sorts of things, NordVPN gives the best security possible it has a password manager which generates complex passwords syncs across all your devices stores your notes and credit card information it also gives you 10 gigabytes of private cloud storage um, secure files that backs up your data automatically but the main thing it gives you is peace of mind it gives you peace of mind when you're um, out on the internet, when you're streaming, when you're playing games, when you're listening to podcasts like this one. It gives you safety anywhere at any time. It protects your online activity. You get full access to all content. And if you use the link go.nordvpn.net sh3ku, it'll take you to where you can get a great deal For a one-month plan, a two-year plan, a one-year plan. They are our newest sponsor. We're happy to have them. And if you would like to sponsor something here at any of the podcasts on the Solitaire Rose Network, you can just email me, solitairerosenetwork at gmail.com. Thanks. (laughs) And also the other podcasts I do. The Solitaire Rose Radio Network is currently on a pause Basically because COVID-19 has made it so that uh, I have to work a lot of extra hours at both jobs. But you can still go and listen to my other podcast. Now, you're probably listening to Crazy Comics and Stories, which is the main podcast. But on this same feed, K-R-A-Y-Z-C-O-M-I-X, is Solitaire Rose Radio, the East solo radio podcasts that I do. Um, I've done interviews, I've done short stories, I've done all sorts of things, and you can get to it right here on this same feed. I also do a podcast called Novelcast, where I take the novels I've written and turn them into free audiobooks. That's over at novels.solitairerose.com. Dangerous Dan Moore and I and of course, Wolfie, be bad. Give you bad advice over at badadvice.solitairerose.com. You send in your questions, and we give you the aforementioned bad advice. And then myself and Adam Vermillion from For the Love of Comics do the Fantastic Forecast at fantasticforecast.solitairerose.com, where we go through the issues of the Fantastic Four, four issues at a time. To give the plot and commentary on each issue. That's not all. Yes, I'm crazy. I still, over at PWInsiderElite.com, every week on Wednesday, do a recap of the latest episode of AEW Dynamite. I write up what happened, and then myself and Anthony Pyrus will do an audio. Now, you can only listen to the audio if you remember at PWInsiderElite.com. And if you're a wrestling fan, you should be where we then break down the episode, talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, give it a grade and let you know if you should have watched that episode. Those are the other podcasts here at the Solitaire Rose Radio Network. Thanks. But Joe, do you have a retro review?
1: I do. Real. Now I'm going to, it's, it's, I count it as a retro review because at one time I did actually own the comic I'm about to review. Ooh, I don't have it anymore. Wish I did. If any of you invent time travel, please go back and tell me. Well, of course, we wouldn't be here today talking about it. Not to sell this book. And I'm talking about Flash 123. Corey, while I choke out one, tell people why that's a significant book.
0: Flash 123 is the flash of two worlds where the Golden Age flash and the Silver Age flash meet. And we are introduced to the idea of the, at the time, the current DC universe was Earth One, which is where the Barry Allen flash and the Hal Jordan Green Lantern, et cetera, et cetera, lived. And Earth-2 was where all the Golden Age heroes lived. And they were separated by a vibrational, they they had different vibrational frequencies. And Flash, because he could control every molecule in his body, could vibrate and travel to Earth-2.
1: Now, none of this was known. Not even Earth-1, Earth-2 yet. Because that came, I believe, when they... Went into the JLA JSA first crossover, and again they haven't published a facsimile edition, hence the caveat. That's what I'm reviewing. So when you are sitting there in Object Horror, going "Oh my God!" you hear him. He's, well, he he accidentally, whoops! I ripped a page. Damn it! No, it's a facsimile edition. Doesn't matter. Although some of these things are getting priced at like nine point eight and getting silly money on eBay. So. For I once? have
0: not been able to find The Black Knight uh, Facsimile Edition Anywhere I couldn't really? find it when it came out I have yet to find it in any store in the 20s wow. And then when I go online All the ones I see on eBay Are you know 20 bucks I'm not paying 20 bucks for a reprint
1: I actually have that one somewhere I'll see if I can not dig it out Maybe we could uh, trade some pie for it
0: mm-hmm. hmm, Work out mm-hmm. a deal
1: Now, this is the first time that ever, if there was a blurb on a DC comic book, it was true. Now, you know the image. There's a guy, and a beam is falling at him, and he yells, Flash, help me. And on one side is Barry Allen, I'm coming. On the other side is Jay Garrick, I'm coming. The blurb featuring Flash of Two Worlds, a spectacular story that is sure to become a classic. And they weren't wrong. Of course on page 1 after you flip the cover you can buy a complete four piece match set of luggage for only 289 you can have it sent COD where you pay the postman on delivery plus the COD and shipping charge or an enclosed 2 to 98 and 63 cent shipping charges and it's a 10 free day trial with money back guarantee if that's not this, this is probably the early podcasting but you could record your voice at home for a measly $6.98 where you could make your own records anywhere. And this is, of course, you can have sent COD or $6.98 plus $0.45 cents shipping. And a 10-day trial, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah, you kids and your TikTok and your YouTube. Forget it, man. It's an actual record. It'll spear on long after the Internet fails. And, of course, they start out right away. There's on page one. Jay Garrick looking at Barry, how can you possibly claim to be the Flash, Barry Allen, when I, Jay Garrick, am the Flash, and have been so for more than 20 years? And the word balloons with, how can I, uh, how many Flashes are there? One, two? Is Barry Allen the real Flash, or is Jay Garrick? Does the Flash live in Central City or in a Keystone City? Only one thing seems certain, both live on planet Earth, and only by traveling to that other, in quotations, Earth, can the Flash discover his alter ego and become the Flash of Two Worlds? And of course, this periodical may not be sold except by author, deals in so subject and conditions that it may not be sold, distributed, any part of cover, markings remover, or modulating condition, nor fix or no part of any advertised literary pictorial matter whatsoever. I am sad to say, I do not see any credits, which can't be right. You know, again, they have the the facsimile edition on the bottom with uh, today's date, and all that one stuff. I'm going to take a look. because I think it was Carmen Infantino, wasn't it? That did yes. the uh, art.
0: And uh, they did not have credits. Sometimes they would name the artist and writer in the letters page. But that's one thing when everybody says, Stan Lee stole the credit for Marura. If you read old comics, they didn't have credits. Yeah. After the 40s, Yep. Yeah. Artists would have to sneak their signature in. Writers rarely got their signature. Stan supposedly signed to every story he wrote. And if you read the old Atlas books, you know, you could some of the artists would sign their stuff. But Stan was the first person since the forties to actually put written by, drawn by, et cetera, et cetera. DC didn't do it on a regular basis till the late 60s, early 70s. Yep. And even then, on some of the anthology books, they wouldn't give credits on the reprints. Some of the artists wouldn't get credits. It, it was, I don't, well, I know Dell never did. Art, yep. Archie didn't do it until the 80s. Harvey never did it. Carlton did it.
1: Well, fortunately, through the advent of atomicavenue.com, I can tell you the writer was Gardner Fox, and of course the artist, the aforementioned Carman Infantino. So the story the story starts, and I'll go through it as quick as I can, where Barry's just walking around and he gets to a theater to find that Iris is very upset because a musician, I'm sorry, a magician who was supposed to be here to entertain the orphans. Hasn't showed up, and they'll be disappointed. And Barry's like, well, I can't stay, Iris, but to make amends, I suppose I phoned the Flash and asked him to come in. I just left him at police quarters. The Flash, oh, Barry, you're an absolute darling. So a quick change, and the Flash shows up, and the kids are all excited. He uh, is the first man in history who can win and lose while playing tennis. And then he does his famous rope trick using hypnosis where he – Where a magician would use in India, they would use a rope trick. He's using hand rotating so swiftly it cannot be seen to keep the rope up tight. And as he climbs up it, he'll disappear, but the rope will vanish too. And he does. And he doesn't come back. What has happened to the Scarlet Speedster? By vibrating his body and twirling the rope at super speeds, he disappeared from sight. But where to? Well, he appears and he's very confused because he was in a theater. Now he's in the middle of a field. So he runs outside, figures he's outside Central City, runs in, does not see familiar sights, Memorial Tower, Sports Stadium. He's like, where is everybody? The community building is long, dusty, but unused. He figures he'll stop by, see Iris, find out what happened. But this isn't Pitcher News building. Instead, the Keystone City Herald building. Where it ought to be. What's going on? Where am I? And he catches the date. He says, it's the right date. He said, pardon me, sir, but where's Keystone City? And the guy goes, ah, what are you kidding? It's right here. Not my answer. What are you doing in that getup? And by that time, the flash is beginning to think of, I think I know what's up. If he used to live here and using a phone book at a stationery store, there he is, Jay Garrick, Keystone City. My theory seems impossible, but it must be true. He goes to... Puts his costume away after running over to Jay Garrick's Knocks on the door. And what a great way to knock on the door. Yes, you're Jay Garrick, a bit older. You seem to know me, but I don't recall seeing you. I see you privately, please. I, sh- I share a secret only known to you and your girlfriend, Joan Williams. Come on in, the former Joan Williams. Now Mrs. Jay Garrick. What deep secret are you talking about? And then he, Flash Barry, reveals the origin of the Flash and how Jay became the Flash fighting over crime and criminals. And of course, they're like, Jay and his wife are, are fiberglassed. How could he know that? We're sure we kept that secret so well. He goes, before I tell you, watch this. He pops into his costume and says, on my Earth, I'm also the Flash, just on yours. Two Earths, what are you talking about? And he reveals what happened at the community center. I tore a gap in the vibratory shield separating our worlds. As you know, two two objects can occupy the same space of time if they vibrate at different speeds. My theory is both Earths were created at the same time in two different universes. They vibrate differently, which keeps them apart. Life, customs, languages even evolved on your Earth. But, And then he now reveals his origin, which is similar but slightly different. And then he explains about, I read your... I was reading your adventures and Flash Adventures, which inspired me to assume this identity of Flash. And Jay's like, what? How'd you ever read about me? And he says, well, obviously, this writer named Gardner Fox wrote about you, your adventures, which he claimed to come to him in dreams. Obviously, when Fox was asleep, his mind tuned in on your vibratory Earth, which explains how he dreamed up the Flash. The magazine was discontinued in 1949. Amazing, says Jay. The very year I, the Flash, retired. Meanwhile, while they continued to talk and decided to go out for a run, in a bank nearby, money's fading away. There was suddenly a blackout at the Jewel Salon, and other valuable gems were robbed. Meanwhile, some strange music was formed at a crash of an armored truck, and the bank was stolen. police are completely baffled. I have been thinking the Flash might give them a hand. And I'd like to give you a hand, Jay. As long as I'm here, I'll join forces with you. Glad to have you, Flash. Whoever those crooks are, they're in for a double Flash trouble. Then we have an obligatory Tootsie Roll ad. After that is a, this must be the, the the uh, how would you say it, the education page? Fastest trips around the world. Nellie Bill setting up from New York City. Uh, another guy going uh, first round world flight made in 1924. Goes about the Zeppelin and a few other ones. After that's an ad for Giant Superman Annual. Down below is Secret Origins Annual. The second story, I'm just going to blip through it because you can go out and find this online. It's everybody should know. It's basically the Thinker, the Fiddler, and the Shade. When the flashes go up against them, they fail miserably because they weren't ready. But when they decide to double team and team up. They go after them, after, of course, another obligatory Tootsie Roll ad. This one, of course, for, for Tootsie Roll pops, the only pop in the world with a center of deliciousness. And then, of course, yeah. we have an ad for the giant size Batman annual, 101 Secrets of Batman's and Robin. There's some ads for the Palisade Amusement Park in New Jersey. This coupon entitles you free admission, plus two rides in Axe and Parking. We're 65 cents uh, across from that. You can get 150 civil war soldiers for only a buck 49. If you want, you can get free worldwide stamps just released for 10 cents. Here's your letter page. And they go on and on quite a bit, which is just fascinating reading at the time. And I'm not going to spend time at that, but you should check it out. They're basically a lot of it. They're, they're calling the flash guys out because they, didn't have their dinosaurs right. And we confess in the light of today's scientific knowledge, the various prehistoric elements that we lumped into land of golden giants could not have happened. Still, we'd all like to point out that the di- story did occur in South America where very little research has taken place. So it may not be too <laughs> far-fetched in assuming. You got to love these guys. Uh, let's see. They, they team up in Chapter 3. There's the cover thing where the two flashes are racing. And in case... I don't want to spoil it for you, but Jay saves the man and Barry basically pops the girder back up. The guys are befuddled because they go against all three of the villains and they can't quite figure out how to do it. And the villains say, tell you what, you guys are going to grab these diamonds for us and put them in a bag, put them in a thing for us and keep dancing. And all of a sudden the flashes hold on your crooks. You aren't going anywhere. And, Let's see, the shade goes spinning so fast you can't see a thing. The uh, Barry Allen gives the fiddler musical handcuffs, and they take apart this thinker cap. How did they do it? Well, if you remember, when they picked up those tiny gems, they placed them in their ears rather than discard them when you said, bring you larger jewels. Thought we could still hear the gems, though we could still hear you, the gems distorted the pitch, so it didn't have an effect on us. After handshakes and backs, claps were all given, Flash started spinning around, and Jay's like, so that's how he does it. I must remember so I can visit his Earth sometime. Barry reappears in the theater. Hours have passed. Nobody's there. He goes and gives a half-hearted explanation to Iris, who doesn't believe it. But he's like, really, the only ones who believe it would be readers of the Flash comic. So I'm going to look up Gardner Fox, who wrote the original Flash stories, and tell this to him. He can write the whole thing up in a comic book. Oh, there's another Tootsie Roll ad for Tootsie Roll Ice Cream Bar. Corey, mm-hmm. I know I know you would have gone for this. For $1 plus 25 cents postage, you could have a Frontier Cabin big enough for two to three kids. Shipped within 24 hours from New York. Page after that was... And
0: uh, you know what that uh, Frontier Cabin was?
1: No. Cardboard? Big
0: cardboard box.
1: Yep, yep. Uh, next page, you could sell Christmas cards, make at least 50 more likely 100 to $200 in your spare time. Oh, yeah, that always works. In the inside back cover, you can get a special limit offer Zodiac ring for $0.10, cents, engraved with the star sign of your own birth month. With uh, $0.50 cents, uh, shipping, of course. The last page was 204 Revolutionary War soldiers, only $1.98. And
0: what was the secret of those, Joe?
1: They were like thin, almost 2D cutouts.
0: Yeah, they were flat plastic.
1: Yeah. And you can actually find them on the Ebays. And there was a book that I borrowed out to somebody that somebody went through and covered all these ads, like what you could get. Yep, with I your, remember that. Yeah, it's a fantastic book to look up. I'm,
0: I've never seen the book, but I remember when it was coming out. I've looked at the videos of people who have them, like the submarine. Was again a cardboard box And you know, re- you could fire real Torpedoes of what it was uh-huh. There was a rubber band and you pull it back And boom
1: <laughs> Nick actually had one of those In his vast accumulation of stuff I never saw it because it was always like Yeah one of these days we'll go to the, the warehouse And of course now his stuff's been distributed But he actually was able to get a hold of one Which I thought dude you should put that on display In the store <laughs> But oh, Ah well That is my retro review for today. Corey, what you got for us?
0: Uh, Joe, I have something I picked up out of a quarter bin. Ooh. Published by Marvel. Lasted 10 issues. Joe, do you remember blip the video game magazine?
1: I do. I've actually had, I picked up a number one somewhere. Uh, I remember that because I shared it on a Babylon 5 page because they were talking with Bruce Boxlider and his new show, Babylon 5. Or was it Tron? I forget what it was. Uh, It's Tron because
0: this came out. It's cover dated February 1983. So it's right before the great video game Crash of Mm -hmm. 83. It's comic book sized, but it has a photo cover. And the cover is TV star Matthew Labatro, who I mentioned that name, and you probably would go, I don't know who that is. And at the time, you probably would go, I don't know who that is. He was uh, the boy that, um, oh, I don't remember the girl's name, but the middle girl on Little House on the Prairie had a crush on. And he is still in show business. He basically just does voiceover work for cartoons. A lot of anime. It says, new for Marvel Comics. Blip tips how to beat Centipede Missile Command, win a video game prize, and Donkey Kong Comics. It is a 32-page comic-sized magazine. And for me, the stuff that's more interesting is who worked on it. So on the first issue, publisher, Stan Lee, editor, Joe Claro, never heard of him. Uh, Art and production was Danny Crespi, who, if you read Marvel in the 70s and 80s, he was one of the production guys. And there would be jokes about him whenever they would do insider stuff like the Marvel No Prize book and the Marvel Fumetti and and an assistant editor's month. Typography, Joe. Do you remember Elliot R. Brown? I do not. He was the guy who, again, he worked in the production office. But when the Punisher Armories came out, he's the guy who did all the blueprints for the oh, guns yeah. and all that. And the official Marvel handbook. He's the one who drew the br- blueprints for the Baxter building and and the Daily P- Bugle and all that. That was sort of his thing. Contributors you may know. Um Rick Parker. He was the uh letterer at Marvel from the 70s into the 90s. He was also the artist on Beavis and Butthead.
1: <laughs>
0: and the one the only other contributor other than Elliot R. Brown you may know is Gary Brodsky. Joe, do you know who Gary Brodsky was?
1: Uh, I know Saul, I don't know Gary
0: Gary was his son oh. Saul's son
1: He's on the right track
0: No, 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 Joe, Saul's son Oh When he started his own comic book company That's why it was called Soulson He was Saul's son Ah The first article is about video games of the stars, they have some Pictures of celebrities next to video games Most of them You would not remember anymore. Bruce Boxleitner talks about working on Tron and said that he played uh, Pac-Man, Asteroids, Missile Command, Space Invaders, and Centipede during breaks in shooting. I got hooked on every one of them. The only other person you may know if you're a comic book person, Nicholas Hammond. That's right, the first Spider-Man. I just enjoy video games. That's all. I'm certainly not an addict. (laughs) That's what they all say. Doesn't mention any games, but he says he's more excited when he talks about the future of video games. We've only had them for a short while. Just look how far they've progressed. Just think what the geniuses who create them might be capable of as technology improves. We then have tips, which are incredibly generic, for the game's Missile Command, Centipede, and then the Video Hall of Fame, which is a listing of the world's high scores. They also have an article on the different clubs you could join, the Atari Club, the Activision Club, the Coleco Club, which was back then, and Nintendo had one when the NES was big, where you could you know, send them your address and... I don't know, like a dollar or something, and they would put you on a mailing list and you would get flyers and stuff for all the games coming out from each company. There's also a comedy section. Games we'll never see, such as Pudding Defender, Boob (laughs) Tube, and then a, a big page of dad jokes, kid jokes and stuff. Oh,
1: right up my alley.
0: What is a barbershop with video games? A snip and blip. What's a soda fountain with video games? A sip and blip. What's the mistake you make when you lose a video game? A blip slip. What's a joystick? A blip grip. They do have a few reviews. They review Pitfall and a arcade. Not a not a a console called the Arcadia two thousand one, which I've never heard of. Let's see, it is a video game system you could get for as little as a hundred dollars, could make it an important competitor to the big name in video game consoles. No, 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 it wasn't. Hmm. Uh there are 30 game cartridges that are available with more to come soon. Uh, What you won't find in the selection is any of the well-known arcade games like Pac-Man or Donkey Kong. Well, duh. They then talk about some upcoming video game consoles such as Dig Dug. And the thing that I find most interesting is how to design a video game. You tell us! It's supposed to be an article about the people who design video games, but it's basically a, oh my gosh, You tell us what kind of video game you'd like to make, and we'll send you. And if you win, you'll get a check for fifty dollars, which is a lot like what uh, Timely did back in the forties, where in their comics it's okay, send us a story, and if and if you win, you know, send us your Captain America story, and if you win, we'll send you ten dollars. And what they ended up doing is, oh, cool, we got all these free ideas. (laughs) <laughs> then there is a Donkey Kong comic strip written by Steve Grant, drawn by Bob Camp, who went on to work on um, Ren and Stimpy as the lead animator. And that goes for about eight pages. It's it's weird that it they basically tell the story of the video game with a reporter. Asking questions and a lot of goofy pictures and stuff. And that is the magazine. That's the whole thing. They do have a survey where they're asking people what kind of stuff they like. It lasted 10 issues. And if you want my opinion, the reason it didn't last. First off, it came out during the video game crash. Which, if you think the uh, comic book crash of the 90s was bad. The video game crash of like 83 84 it took them until the playstation 1 came out to have sales as high as they were in 1982 now comics are never going to get back to the sales they had in the early 90s but at least it's not oh my god marvel's in bankruptcy <laughs> marvel was able to get out of bankruptcy in about six years for Atari, I don't think they've ever recovered.
1: Not even with Atari Force?
0: <laughs> Which is a damn good comic, by the way.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I I loved it.
0: Drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Much better than it should have been. And a damn shame they can't reprint it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: As a curiosity of what it was like, When video games had their first big boom, it's interesting. But even back then, I remember I picked it up back then and didn't care for it because it was just, it was aimed at little kids. Meanwhile, you had slick magazines like Electronic Games Monthly and Computer Gaming that were aimed at older readers, had much more information. Um, So... I think Marvel was trying to, like a lot of things they did under Jim Shooter, they saw themselves as a publishing company aimed at kids. And as a magazine aimed at kids, it worked at the time, except kids moved on from video games. So I have to give it a ignore on our buy, borrow and ignore Mm -hmm. scale. Yeah, unless you are like me and want to just have that wash of nostalgia. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and read it and go, wow, this is really bad.
1: For me, I definitely recommend picking up the Flash 123 facsimile. Unless you got a couple thousand bucks lying around and can afford to buy a decent copy. I did see a 2.0 for like
0: $415. Well, Joe, now we're at my favorite part of the show
1: Confessions. No, no,
0: no. Not where I see how many jelly beans I can put in my mouth at once. It's freaking a geeky, Joe. What are you freaking on?
1: Oh, I got mandatory overtime. You know, again, I decided to suck it up and get it done early. Because like I mentioned earlier, I am going on vacation in two weeks. So if you want to join Corey in a podcast on Monday, March 13th, Get a hold of him. He'll have you as a special guest star because I'm going to be down in Mobile, Alabama. Sorry, channeling Forrest Gump. You're not going to be
0: calling in from Alabama while your wife glares at you the whole time?
1: Well, it depends on where everybody is. I've already been told a couple times, like when in Hawaii, when they decided they were just going to go hang at the beach, I went to the comic store. But we're going with four couples and two of the guys, there's four guys, four girls, two of the guys are like, well, when you guys head to the beach, I'm going to a comic store. And they're like, oh, no, you're not. You're taking us to the comic store. I said, really? I'm game for that. And I got to look again. I think there are like maybe four around us. But a lot of times when you type in comic store, you'll also find things like, oh, Barnes and Noble or whomever that just a library or whatever. Like, no, 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 no. I'm there to buy. So. We'll see what kind of fun stuff I have, but the thirteenth that's the day I'll be gone in the meantime, like I said, I'm working tomorrow uh, we we actually we had another snow warning coming. It should be snowing now. me look on my handy dandy radar as we record this. It was one of those overnight events. It was upwards of five inches, but since then it's actually downgraded to about two to three and as I look at the radar. Apparently the radar's crashed. I don't have anything. (laughs) Check
0: the radar. Dinner will be done in five minutes.
1: Check the radar. Oh, you got to sign these things, sir. What am I signing, Radar? Oh, don't ask. Wife and I have been watching MASH again. Oh, here it is. Winter Weather Advisory. Until tomorrow. Just... Basically telling you, you're going to have, it'll probably be snowing when you go to work. And as usual, the snow has surrounded us, Corey, but it's not in the Twin Cities itself. But it it's there. Uh, Turbo's well, actually- in our,
0: in our oh, blizzard last week was such a letdown. Oh my, that was killer. I was able to leave the house Thursday morning.
1: I left too. It's just one of those that okay, hit hard not okay. or hit you- I I was underwhelmed because I got out of the driveway easy granted my back is still sore from shoveling that and I'm a little worried because the fire hydrant down the block is still covered with snow. In the meantime, yesterday we had rain. Real rain, hard rain. When I had to well I went to Target with my wife we accidentally left the back door open so I had to walk around the house Instead of walking through 15 inches of snow, the rain kind of compressed everything down to like maybe five inches. So. I guess, you know, just another day, in Minnesota. Let's see. Blizzard ice, buried your ass snowstorm. Oh, cold, cold temperatures. Oh, but it's going to rain the next day. Ice over everything. Oh, by the way, another three inches is coming. Yep. you get tired of the weather in Minnesota? Wait. It'll change. And DC, we mentioned it earlier, you got one freaking job. Get your damn previews things out when everybody else is out. I got the previews. I got the Marvel previews. Didn't get the DC one. Matter of fact, DC had a flubbergover going on because nobody got DC books last week. They all got delivered this week. As I was visiting the comic stores, like I said, I was dropping off flyers and stuff. They were all like, oh, we got our new DCs in. I did pick up a Superman one though. I didn't order Superman. Either I'm going to read it as trades or not, but I've been hearing good buzz about it. So I thought I'd give it a try, maybe talk about it. So pretty much that's it for my freaking. Corey, what's freaking you out? First off. (laughs) um,
0: I cover AEW, all elite Elite wrestling. And i I feel like at times I'm the only person who enjoys it on PW Insider. The build to this pay-per-view that is actually this Sunday. So when you listen to this, it will have been last night. The build to this pay-per-view has not been very good. The, our main heel, which is a bad guy, MJF, his promos. Normally they make you want to drive to his house and beat him up. This time, it's more, ah, that's, no, no. He says stuff to tr- to push your buttons, but this time, it's not pushing your buttons to make you mad and want to see somebody beat him up. It's pushing your buttons to make you go, yeah, that w- you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't have said that. That's not good. And none of the other matches have any heat behind them. I know that the show will have great wrestling, It'll be fantastic matches, but I don't have that feel of, oh my God, I need to see this that I've had in the past. And it's kind of disheartening because I cover it. I enjoy it. I enjoy the matches. And it's just, it's not there for me. Second, New Japan Pro Wrestling has a TV show called New Japan Strong, which has been going for about three years, which features the, It has some of the stars from Japan when they're in the U.S., but it mostly focuses on the people out of their their L.A. training center. And it's been an hour show. It's been going for, I think it started in September of 2020. Yeah. Well, they're ending the show once they've used up the shows that they filmed. So either this week or next week are the last ones. They'll still have their show which takes their big events for access TV and you know shows an hour at a time. New Japan Pro Wrestling is my favorite wrestling because it's very much they tell their stories in the ring. They don't do much in the way of promos. They don't have soap opera stuff. It's all this person either wants revenge on this person or this person is trying to get a number of wins to get the title. It's not uh, this person... Uh, ran into this person's car and now they're going to settle it in the ring it's all very sports-based so i'm i like the fact that they're focusing on the new people here in the u.s that are training but we're not going to get that anymore comic wise first let's do comic strips joe you know dilbert don't you
1: apparently not
0: well, you know, the strip Dilbert and then the TV show Dilbert. And there for a time in the 90s, Dilbert was huge. Best-selling books, TV show. The creator, Scott Adams, even put out a book called The Dilbert Principle about how to run your business better by getting rid of middle management and having the workers work with management on stuff. Well, his second business book did not do as well because it was full of batshit crazy stuff about the power of positive thinking, making it so that you can have a better career, blah, blah, blah. As he had, as the creator had been out of the business world for 20 years, the strips were less and less relevant to people who worked at cubicles, which was who it was aimed at. And then starting when Obama got elected and the rise of social media and YouTube and everything, he got on Twitter and YouTube and we found out that he was a rampaging woman hater. He was a member of the He-Man Woman Haters Club. Well, he keeps going further and further right until the last few weeks he finally introduced a black character in the strip which he had not done and you know there were no black characters in the strip so when he introduced a black character in the strip he went for the old I'm not black I identify as white gag uh, which uh, not funny uh. um and then this week you know he was already losing papers because he was you know very anti LGBTQ said that women shouldn't be in the workplace sort of thing well this week he put out this video about how um white people shouldn't interact with black people at all because black people all hate white people and that was enough that papers just dropped him immediately and then his syndicate the people who buy the strip from him said we're not doing business with him anymore And of course, he says he's being discriminated against and et cetera, et cetera. And once again, everybody seems to misunderstand the First Amendment. So I'm going to explain the First Amendment to you when it comes to freedom of speech. Freedom of speech means as long as you are not breaking the law, the government cannot censor you. Now, if Joe is on this show and he says stuff that I think wow, that's going to piss off the listeners, I'll edit it out.
1: Which happens more than you'd think.
0: Well, I don't edit out anything that will piss off the listeners. I do edit out things that will get you fired.
1: Yeah, and that would piss <laughs> off Chris. <laughs> and all, I don't, Yeah, you're probably better off that way.
0: <laughs> uh, we've had people on, on the show and interviews and stuff where I've said, yeah, I think I need to cut that. You know why I could do that? And it's not me taking away the freedom of speech.
1: We're not the government.
0: My podcast. I decide what's on it.
1: It's true. You may think I'm part of this, but Corey does edit and put it all together.
0: And if I do edit something, I'll tell Joe.
1: Because, you know, I think Corey is a real son of a. Again, it had to be.
0: I always tell Joe when I'm editing something out. So what's going to happen is he's going to go patreon or whatever and not me no scott Scott i'm not not doing patreon or whatever but it's once again another case of somebody who's and i always liken it to what happened to dave sim dave sim fantastic artist scott adams terrible artist but dave sim fantastic artist you read up through around issue 150 of cerebus and it is amazing but dave sim did a whole lot of drugs, he admits this, had a brutal divorce, he admits this, and lives way up in Canada all by himself where he doesn't interact with people. So eventually, no one was around to tell him, "Uh, Dave, Dave, cool it on how much you hate women. (laughs) Kind of cool it on that. Where it got into the story, and in some, for a lot of people, it took over the story. And with Scott Adams, He had been away from the workplace so long and hidden in that little insulated bubble of wealth that he got further and further up his own ass. (laughs) And that happens to a lot of people when they are able to insulate themselves from the world. We talked about Vince McMahon ages ago where Vince McMahon has not driven a car in 30 years. He hasn't been in a grocery store or any retail store of any kind In 50 years, he only interacts with people who tell him that he's brilliant. So as his ideas get further and further out there, there's no one to tap him on the shoulder and say, "Uh, no. And the same with Scott Adams and other people. You need somebody on your shoulder to tap you and say, "Uh, you're starting to go to crazy town there, pepper boy. So Dilbert is removed from all papers now. Hopefully this means we're going to get a really good comic strip to take its place. I've been telling people to read Crabgrass. Go to GoComics.com. Look up Crabgrass. Fantastic comic strip. I hope it takes its place. The last thing that I am freaking on, we talked a little tiny bit about this. Remember when there's all the corporate maneuvering at Disney and what it was, it's that um, Mutter. Oh, yeah. Mutter was trying a corporate end around to get more power at Disney. And that's why Bob Iger came back as CEO. And we talked about how Mutter is a friend of Donald Trump. And I said that I think there's more to this than just standard corporate stuff well guess what the republican governor of florida said earlier this week joe he is going to be using his power to control the content that disney provides so they weren't able to win in the corporate world now they're going to go via the government this is it's it's I, I don't like to get conspiracy theory, but one of Donald Trump's friends and a you know really powerful Republican financier tried to take over Disney. Oh gosh, that didn't work. So now the governor of Florida is like, well, we're going to be uh, looking at controlling the stuff that Disney puts out for these families because we need to protect the children. Will that affect Disney at all? No. <laughs> Di- Disney could buy and sell Florida,
1: and and even though their stock prices out- down. Like I pointed out before, which never makes the news, You because know, they sit there, and Disney's its own little fiefdom, for lack of a better word. They have their own police department, their own fire department, their own sewer, their own water. They're on the hook for billions of dollars that they are paying this off. Well, they decided, well, we're going to take all this away, and you're Disney, you're not going to have your own police fire And Disney's like, fine, we're not going to pay the billions then. That falls upon the county now that Disney's would now become part of. And they're like, we can't afford this billions. So there's, you know, again, there's a big, ah, look what I did. Uh, Disney go woke, go broke. Yeah, well, the details aren't that clear. He can still say, yeah, look what we did to Disney. But if you live in that area, like my buddy Turbo did, he's like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's not making the news. Yeah.
0: But to me, it shows that, again, and this happens all the time. People in government want to control. The sort of media that you see and hear and watch, et cetera, et cetera. That's why you've got all these book bannings all of a sudden. It just you know sprung up over the last few years. We have to, as consumers, comic fans, we have to push back against this constantly. I feel like my whole life there's been something I enjoy that they're trying to get rid of. Dungeons and Dragons, video games, comic books, and now that uh, all the Marvel stuff has, you know, become this money machine that's a part of Disney, you've got the governor of Florida saying, and I'm, I want to read the exact quote. He will use his leverage to force Disney to stop trying to inject woke ideology. When you lose your way, you've got to have people who that are going to tell you the truth. So we hope they can get back on. But I think these board members very much would like to see the type of entertainment that all families can appreciate. And what he's talking about is the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District is now stacked with right wing, um, far right wing people such as. Uh, Bridget Ziegler, Ron Perry, Michael Sasso, he's trying to use the power of government to change what a corporation puts out as entertainment. So again, when you hear about the comic book legal defense fund, when you hear about book bannings, when you hear about these things, this is, it's, it's never going to go away. We always have to fight. I talked about the First Amendment earlier on. This is what the First Amendment protects against. Joe, what are you geeking on?
1: All right. Well, this will start as a freaking, but we'll end up as a geeking. One of the things that's going on in the world is that a lot of variant covers are out there. I've always, you know, I'd love to go back if I have time. In the, you know, say, well, this is hot, this is hot. You know what's hot now, Corey? Uh, fire. Close. Power Girl variant covers. By Power Girls, we mean movies. The Comic Mint is a company that makes exclusive covers only for their. It's a retailer exclusive, you know, and they're usually. Pretty good-looking covers. They they do a little bit more than just Power Girl boobies. They had to, There's like a Star Wars Insider special cover and things like that. But they had one coming out for Action Comics 1053, a Will Jack variant cover, going on sale. I believe it was two o'clock their time, one o'clock our time, and I remember, and I went and I looked, and I was like, ah. These are a lot of money considering I'm already in the hole for 600 bucks for a Hugh Jackman variant. I wasn't even sure who Will Jack was. I was looking at these things and they had all this stuff. And then I realized, oh, it's sold out. Two minutes after the sale started, they're sold out. Well, not of everything. They did have the regular trade dress variant. So I did get that. So that's that's the geeking. But the matching version, virgin cover, you know, where there's no logo, no art, gone. The actual signed one that uh, Will Jack had, gone. How the hell do you sell that many comics in two freaking minutes? But don't worry about it. You can go on the eBay. The one I'm looking at, yeah, that I bought for 20 bucks, that's 45 bucks with $11 shipping. The signed one, uh, $180. Bucks. Uh, I haven't even signed. So all these guys bought tons of these things now they they did say okay if anybody orders more than one we will limit you to one but there's one guy he's already sold 20 of these covers so my geeking I got one that's nice art i would have i thought about the signed one but i also realized uh, I got vacation coming up. I went geeking today. I'll talk about what I picked up in a minute. So, again, kind of a freaking thing. If you happen to be wandering the uh comic stands, pick yourself up any Power Girl variant. You'll know what I mean. There's actually another one that uh Nathan can't say his name. S Z E R D Y that and they say these aren't coming out till March, but it's already Eighty bucks, and it hasn't even come out yet. <sighs> Power Girl's hot. Oh, the funny thing was, is on the uh, a comic book group that I frequent, who were really complaining about. People were like, "Hey, I just get on here. I was put on hold. I never got any." I I gave him the story that you you talked about. How did you know that uh, Wally Wood kept increasing Power Girl's bus side? and he was thinking eventually editors would catch on, tell him to knock it off. Nobody did so oh, There was some fun out of that Okay, so I went geeking today oh, Okay, I'm my, over at my box These are some of the things I picked up just for fun And again, I only had 10 minutes per shop So uh, Let's see, I picked up uh, some Doctor Who Target books If you remember those, I think they came out what in the Oh yeah, 80s? 70s and 80s Yeah, there were three bucks a piece Two of them by Terrence Dix, Who created the Daleks, Death yes. the Daleks, Planet of the Daleks whom I'm assuming has the third doctor. And then there's one, Modred Undead, who has the fifth doctor on it. So that was cool. I did swing by, uh, where did I buy those? Oh, that was at uh, Issues Needed. I also picked up Omnibus. Ooh, what one, what one? They had for $69.99, El Blazer by Garth Innes.
0: Ooh, I've got that one. It's wonderful.
1: I don't think I ordered this. If I did, next week I'll be talking about how it's on sale on my eBay, (laughs) which, by the way, I'm I'm still having fun with. I I mean to do an ad to talk about it, but really, if you want to go there, you know the drill, K-R-A-Y-Z. I've actually been putting up some stuff that I've been helping uh, our friend Lisa with. So if you suddenly see some keys and you're like, where the hell did Ryder get that? Oh, it's that flash variant he talked about. Oh, no, that was just – Facsimile edition. No, there's some legit stuff going up. And as I get time, I'm trying to get up as much as I can. And then, of course, when the con rolls around, the two I mentioned, uh, Gruber will be going to those. And he's going to sell. I'll have a combination of boxes there to buy. So you get a chance to do that. I did swing by Mind's Eye comic, and I picked up the Superman number one, the shiny foil cover. Woo! They were just getting their DCs out that were late. So so I got that. Oh, I stopped by Heroic Games. They had a couple of one dollar books. I talked about this book. I read a cover. What's the furthest place from here? Yes. I picked I found a number one for a buck. So I'm gonna read that and I'll probably be raving about that in the future. But even the, the few issues I've have read are just creepy as hell. Have not seen any trades on the shelf, which is real disappointing because it's already up to issue ten. Ed. One of the hot comics, I picked up Detective Comics 1069, the Colleen Doran variant cover. And I was so happy to get this because I honestly thought I'd have to go to the Ebays to find it. Some of the other stuff. Oh, I swung by uh, Dreamhaven and I picked up. You know, I've been, I think I talked about that. I've been watching the Babylon, not Babylon 5, Battlestar Galactica, the DVDs from long, long time ago. And I. I. Remember that at one time I was picking up the Battlestar Galactica books as they came out. A lot of them were novelizations of the actual stories. Some of them were newer. Actually, I take that back. Most of these are probably remakes of the actual series. So I've got, I think they only did 10 of them. I've got all 10 of them. I picked up three at Dreamhaven. Down the street at Uncle Hugo's, they had the other ones. So I remember years ago, there used to be a bookstore on... It was in St. Paul, I think Grand Avenue. And uh, I can't think of it. Odegaard Books. And I would go there every month and pick up the brand new Battlestar Galactica book. Because, you know, this was the 70s into the 80s. And so I got a complete run of that. What was really cool at Dreamhaven, I got a copy of... First, there was Star Trek. Then there was Star Wars. Now... There is Battlestar Galactica, which I'm going to open this up because I've never seen this before. This is like, if you recall, the original Star Wars book came out long before the movie and it yeah. had just funky art on it. This has art from actual. Like the, the the base star looks like kind of a wine topper, not the like thing we're is used
0: it, to seeing. Is it the painting by Frazetta? I believe so. Yeah, Frazetta did the paintings for the first few books, but they also used those as the TV ad and the Mm -hmm. movie poster.
1: Yeah, because this is this edition was published in 1978 by Totem Books. And then I've got the actual one, which has more of the the show. And this was done by Berkeley Science Fiction, who did all the other ones and almost the exact same version. And they show nine books see, where's issue number 10? Battlestar Galactica, The Long Patrol. And the, yeah, these books are in various shape. Yeah, I think I got all 10 of them. So I was very happy with that. And then, of course, the totem book looks really cool. And I picked that bad boy up. They had a couple of freebie books. I picked up one that has, it's called Upfront by Bill Maudlin. And uh, Texan Pictures by Bill as well. And it looks a lot like, geez, this thing dates 1945. It looks like uh Joe and Willie, if you remember those cartoons. So, so it was a quite a fun day visiting, and I, I did pick up other stuff. Uh and again, I kept myself strong. I visited almost every shop in town. Oh my god, I got Corey, we gotta get out geeking, man. These uh, these these shops are, are loaded with stuff. Let's see, a couple other things to mention. Let's see. The debate comic by Minnesota, Minneapolis graphic novel Joseph Haynes is coming to a comic shop near you in 2023 called Shadow Lords, an all-original fantasy series by Death Door Press. Just local guy. I got more information on Minicon 56, which is April 7th and 9th, that has Greg Ketter as the fan guest of honor. And Minicon is basically a general-purpose science fiction convention of about 500 fans with a focus on diverse programming. And positively noteworthy food and drink. Features reading, signing, costuming, films, gaming, art show. There will be at the Doubletree St. Louis Park. And of course, if you're looking to get in on Minicon 56. do they have a, we'll Go to the Minnesota Science Fiction Society. Or stop by Dreamhaven where I picked up the flyer. I talked about this in the past uncanny experience is coming which is based on the x-men they have special guest star honor Zan Larry Houston call Dodd and Chris Claremont it's all about the x-men this will be September 16th and 17th go to the uncanny no idea if I'll get to go I just started reading 100 bullets by Brian Azario and Eduardo Risso. Oh, wow.
0: Such a great series and such a cool idea.
1: I know. I was explaining it to a gun friend of mine, and he was like, That's really freaky. And I got to admit, the beginning was tough because there were a lot of characters thrown at me. And I thought, Okay, they're going to be the center. But then what's neat is eventually you flip into other stories of people that have had the gun and you understand what the deal is. Basically, you got a gun, hundred rounds of bullets, untraceable. If you get arrested, they'll have to let you go, give you the gun back. If you shoot somebody, once they hit the forensics, all the evidence disappears. You still have to get to the target. It's not like a, oh yeah, I'm gonna go shoot X guy, who's the richest guy in the world. Got to get close to him first. But I'm, I've got all the the books in the. Uh, the deluxe edition, which I believe there were five and I've made it up through the first couple ones. And I am just, Oh, it's amazing. I am reading this slow and deliberate. I'm not racing through it, trying to figure out what's going on. So I've really enjoyed it. And what's fun is, like I said, I, one of the few major vertigo books that have come out that I've never read That I'm looking forward to reading. There's a few other ones like Books of Magic, which I have in the Omnibus, the aforementioned Hellblazer Omnibus. I'll get to it. I've got things to watch. For example, we, I talked about Picard last week, and I'm really digging it. Two episodes out so far. It's killing me because part of me wants to, you know, it's only 10 episodes, I believe. But they're so good. And, of course, it's so great seeing the actors come back in one final role. I am so jazzed on Star Trek. I'm even watching Prodigy now, which I've never watched. And if you've never watched Star Trek Prodigy because you think it's a a kid's Star Trek, don't be stupid. Go watch it. It's Star Trek. It's brilliant.
0: You know what I like the most about it, Joe? What's that? It is an introduction to the Star Wars universe. You've got these characters. They have no idea about Starfleet no idea about how any of it works and we learn about starfleet through them so it's a kid show but it's not it's not dumbed down for kids it's more okay kids who are going to hear about star trek they're not going to know anything about it so here's a show that's going to introduce well what is starfleet what's the difference between it and star wars what what is the prime directive What is this? How do these things work? And in each story, they solve their problems with science. Even, you know, the original Star Trek rarely did that. Star Trek Next Generation did that sometimes. The other shows do that sometimes. But Prodigy focuses on science-based solutions. And the characters grow and change. They're not the 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 person who is the quote captain unquote starts as kind of an unlikable character, but he's learning the skills to be a leader along the way. So you've got character growth, you've got continuity without it being rammed down your throat and feeling like it's a Roy Thomas comic from 1985. It's just this wonderful introduction to, and, and, Those of us who've been around forever, well, why do we need to be introduced to Star Trek? Because there are 12 series and 20 movies and different universes and all this stuff. (laughs) It's intimidating to someone who sits, let's say, first Star Trek thing you ever watched was uh, first episode of Picard season two. You're going to come away with it with a headache. Prodigy is, nope. We're gonna let you know how this works. And I think more of these major franchises need that sort of here's your introduction with good stories attached. So sorry I hijacked you.
1: No, no, that's fine because I was gonna do a spoiler alert because what got me to do it, uh there's an episode. And again, if you if you haven't seen it, want to skip this part give me about 30 seconds, called the Kobayashi Maru, where one of the protagonists who self-appointed himself captain, rather arrogantly, is hell-bent on beating the Kobayashi Maru. And he basically tries it over two, three, 400 times, finally kicks his friend out who's been teasing him the whole time, and then he gets down to it and he goes, all right, what is the purpose of this? It's to test your captaining skills to solve the puzzle. Oh well, I need. Do what? Give me the best science officer in Starfleet. Spock appears. Give me the best communication officer. Uhura. Give me the best security guy. Odo. Give me the best engineer. Scotty. Give me the best doctor. Beverly Crusher. Gates McFadden, before showing up on Picard, records new dialogue for her character. The others. Obviously, since those actors have passed away, they take their dialogue from other Star Trek things. And there's already somebody online who's said, these are everything that was said and where it came from. I was sitting there grinning like a freaking idiot watching this episode. The episodes are only 25 minutes long. So it's not like, you know, if I'm going to watch Picard, I better spend the next 50 minutes clear. Absolutely loving it. And of course, the mystery... There's bad guys. Uh, How did this protostar ship get deep in the Delta quadrants for these kids to find? What will happen if Star True Fleet suddenly shows up and says, hey, we want our ship back? Uh, It's absolutely a brilliant show. A lot of fun to watch. Not as manic as lower decks, but I recommend it, especially if you're waiting, like I am, weeks between for the next card episode. That's it for me. Oh, I, I was going to give a shout out to Knights of the Dinner Table. Made it to 300 issues. Wow. congrats you freaking lately And the issue is phenomenal. Not only does it continue the storyline, there's a couple uh, other ones, but they give a who's who in the Knights of the Dinner Table universe. So if you ever want to jump on board, especially if you're a gamer, this would be the issue to pick up. Again, kudos to Jolly and everybody at Kenzer for reaching that milestone naturally. Corey, what's you geeking on? Joe,
0: should I start with comic stuff or other stuff?
1: Uh, go with other stuff and let's end on comics.
0: All right. Have you watched the show on Peacock called Poker Face? No. Pokerface is a new series on on uh, Peacock. It's already been picked up for its second season. Hooray. The uh creator Ryan Johnson, who did um the knives out and glass onion movies, has said that as long as people keep watching them, he wants to keep making them. Hooray! It's a murder mystery that is set up a lot like the old Columbo, in that you know who did it, you know how they did it. You watch the show to figure out how our lead character figures out that they did it and they call it a how catch' them, rather than most murder mysteries are a who done it And what it is the lead character they've given her one when you write a story you're you're entitled to one gimme which is one thing that probably is a little far-fetched. For this series, the lead character can tell if somebody's lying. She doesn't know how. She's just able to tell if somebody's lying. So we see everything leading up to the murder. We see the murder. And then we go back to see how this character was involved in everybody's life. And she figures out who the killer is. It is fantastic. I don't want to spoil anything about it. Just if you've got Peacock, Watch it if you don't have Peacock, get it for a month next month because they're it's one of those where they're releasing a new episode every week. Which I have to be honest on a streaming service, I hate on a show like this because I heard, Oh, it's really good. Then you know, I watched the first four episodes and then I was ready to watch the fifth episode, and it's oh no, it's not coming till next week. What you bastards, also, I am. Because I'm not at the group home as much, I'm having time in the evening to watch movies. And last night, I watched a movie I have not seen since I was 12 years old. Doctor Who and the Daleks. <laughs> Peter Cushing as the Doctor. And it was on Turner Classic Movie, so you had Ben Mankiewicz introducing it and then talking about it at the end. Joe, did you know they asked Peter Cushing to be the second Doctor? I did not. They asked him to be the fourth doctor. Hmm. And both times he had to turn it down because he had too many movies scheduled. Matter of fact, the reason he was not the fourth doctor was a little movie called Star Wars. Hmm. Now, at the time it came out, it was uh, 1966, they had not really gone into the fact that the doctor was an alien. Because if you watch the real early episodes, uh, his companion always calls him Grandfather. In the movie, he's very much a typical um, kind of absent-minded scientist who tinkers around, and he's built a TARDIS. They, of course, don't explain why it looks like a police box. And they Travel to the future. We find out in the second movie that it's not the future. It's a separate planet, but there are continuity errors all over the place. I had to kind of take my brain out and put it aside because of all the continuity errors there are in it. So it's nope alternate universe, except there's one there's, I only have one freaking about it. And that is when uh, they've escaped the Daleks and they're with the other group of life forms on the planet. The Doctor is trying to talk them into ha- killing all the Daleks. Doctor Who does not ever talk people into killing things. I'm like, no, the Doctor wouldn't do that. <laughs> Different universe. Uh, Peter Cushing was really good. The companions were were very good. The little girl who traveled with them was a bit annoying because you know, the children eh. But overall, it looked like it was filmed on some of Hammer Studios' sets. The Daleks looked really good. This was the first time anybody would seen the Daleks in color. And it was just fun. And it reminded me why when I saw it at 12 years old, I was just, I gotta have more Doctor Who. I gotta have more Doctor Who. I gotta have more Doctor Who. And then Marvel started printing the Doctor Who in Marvel Premiere. And I'm like, this isn't the same. Comic-wise,
1: Box Day. I, I actually have it on DVD right behind oh, me. Oh, cool. Oh, And there was a, uh, I read when they did a comic adaptation, because I believe, wasn't it Dell did, did a yep. comic adaptation? Yep. They reprinted it in one of the Doctor Who magazines, I think issue 12. So I've actually read about the story. I haven't seen it.
0: Now I oh, liked. it's it's fun. Yeah, I think Thursday night. I'm going to watch the sequel, which is Doctor Who Armageddon 2150 because hmm. they showed them back to back on Turner Classic Movies. Comic wise, Box Day showed up on Sunday, which is weird because they put it in the mail on Tuesday. And I got this. You know, you get the email and it said your box is going to be there Thursday. And then Thursday, you know, it's it's going to be there by seven o'clock. Seven o'clock, it's not there. Friday morning, your box is somewhere. (laughs) Until Sunday, when I got a message, your box is out for delivery. So for three days, it went into an alternate universe and then came back. First thing I read was comic book creator which is a Tomorrow's Magazine, because it is a long interview with my favorite writer, Don McGregor. Wonderful, wonderful interview. You, It's not just informational, but you get a sense of Don's really infectious love for writing and he, how he he's so passionate about the characters he creates. He tells some of the stories he's told a number of other times. So, you know, he's got kind of If you do a lot of interviews, you kind of have your stock stories. So he's got some of the stock stories, but the interviewer knows him well enough to get past that. And then the other, the last thing I am geeking on, I'm actually going to read out loud to you, Joe.
1: Ooh, story time.
0: This is from the Facebook page of Michael J. Vassalo, Doc V, the expert on Timely Atlas Comics. Now it can be told. Okay, I've hinted about this for several weeks, and it seems the cat is out of the bag, and I wasn't even told it was. I was hired by Fantagraphics last year to helm an ongoing line of timely Atlas reprints, although it will, for obvious reprints, be primarily Atlas. From what I understand, Marvel was happy with farming out the project that became Atlas at War, And while Dead Reckoning didn't want to do a second volume, Marvel was happy enough with the result to approach Fantagraphics with the idea to be even more ambitious. As they ironed out whatever they had to iron out, it was contacted. I was contacted to see if I had interest in planning and organizing it. I was, obviously. So after hearing out what Fantagraphics was looking for, I composed a two-year initial plan. Next, I prevailed upon them to hire Alan Harvey to do art restoration, hoping against hope they'd be interested, as they had initially told me they would do it in-house. Well, it turns out that they did, in fact, follow my suggestion and hired him, so the band is back together now you know all the artwork will look gorgeous i'll run down the initial plan Graphics wants to do five ongoing series reprints plus one best of artist single volume compilation a year i provide the source material scan write an introduction and alan restores the art two books are planned for the end of this year one series reprint and one artist best of compilation All genres are fair game, although the concern about the sales of less popular genres was talked about. But that said, no genre is off the table, so my potential array of choices are legion and just limited to what I have, nearly everything, and what condition it's in for scanning. The project will lead off with a pre-code horror volume comprising the first eight issues of the title Adventures in Terror. Fantagraphics like that title for my initial list of choices because of the strength of the word terror. Understand that members, that members of this group and like-minded Atlas collectors are, given in their, are a given in their idea of, of sales, but there's a need to tap into the non-Atlas general Fantagraphics buyer to make the line really viable and continue beyond the initial two-year period. The second volume will be the first Best of Artist volume, and there was no one I could choose but Joe Manili to launch the line. So, yes, by the end of the year, we will finally get a Best of Joe Manili, not the actual title, book. All the books in the line will be oversized like Atlas at War, similar from what I understand and similar to the recent Fantagraphics Complete Ray Bradbury EC Comics volume perhaps even a bit larger. It will be much less expensive than a typical Marvel masterwork, so most most budgets should be able to help support this. Let me tell you, trying to distill Joe Manili's career into 45 or so stories and 25 or so covers is a difficult endeavor. I initially chose 100 stories and 100 covers and have been whittling them down ever since. What I hope is sales will warrant a volume two at some point. Next year, we will get Venus Volume 2. Understand that that volume will not come from the material already prepared by Marvel for the second volume that was never published. It will be all new art restored from scans from the original books. I have all the issues, and the preparation will take some juggling, as many of my issues are low-grade and suitable for scanning, although some late covers are really raw. I may need a cover scan or two if folks here have them. We'll cross that bridge when we get there, as I already had to purchase a beat copy of Adventures into Terror number 7 to scan, my copy being too high grade. A search on eBay found a literal beat-to-hell copy with a shredded cover and a perfect interior, so my cover was used and the interior came from eBay. That first book has been put to bed and is now being restored. I don't mind buying low-grade copies to scan if necessary and then reselling them afterward, but I will not buy slabbed books. After breaking them out, I won't be able to resell them for what I paid for them, and I'm not taking a loss on this. So to update, folks, I'm hoping these books sell better than the Masterworks did and be able to run well indefinitely. They will need everyone's full support. You've asked for it. Now you're going to get it. To far- paraphrase Jack Kirby, you've asked. Now buy it. <laughs> They are already up on Amazon. The best of Joe Manili. It's called the Atlas Artist Edition, Joe Manili Volume 1. It has a cover price of $75, which is the same as a masterwork, except these are bigger, not just uh more pages, but also bigger sized. If you've seen the Atlas at War book, it's more like a I would say it's about uh, two steps up from a regular comic. It's more magazine sized. The other book, let's see here, Adventures into Terror, will be $34.99, which is half the price of a masterwork. It's going to be coming out on September 12th of 2023. When it's in previews, I will probably go on and on and on about it. Folks, this is the golden age of comic reprints. I've said it repeatedly, but the fact that we're going to get these Atlas books and, of all people, Fantagraphics, where Gary Groth spent all of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s bad-mouthing Marvel, He's now got the contract to reprint the old Marvel stuff from the 40s and 50s. I'm so giddy about this. And, you know, Joe, I talked about the uncanny Omar who's got the pipeline to Marvel and does the videos where he's the official announcer of Marvel omnibuses. I was able to officially tell him about this. He had not heard about it from Marvel yet. Hmm so i'm actually going to be kind of twisting his arm to push the stuff too i really want this stuff to sell well enough so that i can continue to get these books 35 bucks for how many pages is that thing? see here it's only 180 pages so it's around the same size as a marvel um marvel masterwork but it's the first what seven issues Yeah, it's the first first seven issues. Uh, It's got uh, Russ Heath's two-part story, The Brain, um, Basil Wolverton's classic, Where Monsters Dwell, Gene Colan's story, House of Horror, um, Alan Bellman does stuff. You've got work by Gene Colan, Russ Heath, Basil Wolverton. Uh, That's the first eight issues. I'm sorry, first eight issues. So um, there you go. Believe it or not, kids You've listened to us talk about comics in comic shops And completely forget what we were going to be talking about
1: Yeah Thank you,
0: Travis (laughs) And as we say every week The comic we like the least We still like better than the comic that you like the most Joe?
1: Well, you know, it is snowing now If snowflakes were currency We'd all be rich in winter we just make a trip to the nearest snowbank
0: (sighs) Ugh I'd rather read the jokes and blip.
1: All right, all right. Go ahead, blip yourself. I'm gonna say, hit my music. <laughs> On, bitches!